You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and find verse 17. Uh, we will get to uh, Matthew 28 uh, that our sister Mika read for us in Portuguese. It's a great reminder that God is the God of all peoples and tongues and nations. Um, this is our last week in the Belonging series. Uh, so it's, it's five-week series. This is week five. And our hope in this series has been to really share our heart for uh, who we are as a local church and, and really our heart for who we, who we will continue to be or want to continue to be. And that's been marked by, by two things. We've been after that in, a, in two different ways. One is by doing uh, a member renewal. Really, largely, it's encouraging meaningful membership. And so for our members, that has meant inviting you to renew your membership. For people who are not members, that's been inviting you to attend a membership class, which is uh, this afternoon. It starts at uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon. And it is, to date, the largest membership class that we've had since we've been a church, which is such an answer to prayer. So praise God. Uh, Members, we're asking you to renew your membership by October 17th. That's next Sunday. So if you haven't had a chance to do that, please uh, do that. Uh, not now, maybe wait till after service or, or during Bleaker's part. You can do it during Bleaker's part if you want. Um, so member renewal. And then the other thing has been our values, communicating our heart as a church, the things that, that really unite us together as a church, our shared convictions, which you just heard about even in that video, life in Christ, word of God, people of presence, whole person discipleship. And then the last one is living on mission, which is what we'll devote our time to uh, looking at this morning. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Hang on to that. That's going to shape our entire time, that one sentence. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I want to start with just an image that will kind of shape, and and like I often do, maybe tie together all that will go. We've got a lot to cover this morning, but here's the the idea. Before we were uh, Citizens Church, we met uh, as a campus of the Village Church, and and the building that we used to meet in was a, a building about half this size off of uh, Independence and Spring Creek. And around the end of 2017, uh, I began getting a sense that uh, TVC Plano uh, is is what we were at the time, and her future uh, was what God was calling me to long-term, calling our family to long-term. And we were living then way up in McKinney, uh, just south of of 380, and, and we wanted to move closer to the church and plant some roots down here and just be closer to the building that we met in because I spent so much time there. And so we began looking uh, for a house around the church and and had a hard time finding one. But then one day after uh, service, I was just driving in the neighborhoods around uh, the old building and saw a for sale by owner sign leaning against a tree in the front yard uh, of one house. And and it wasn't even on the market yet, but I called and and set up a time for us to be able to go and, and see it and Carrie and I pulled up to it, and her first comment when we pulled up was, can we paint it? <clears throat> um, the brick was a really gross brown, and the color of the like trim and fascia and soffit and all that was not much better. And so 
I said, let's see if we can buy it first, and then, and then maybe we can paint it. <clears throat> and so long story short, we, we bought it, and uh, we moved in in early 2018. Uh, and it was two streets behind the old building. It was very convenient, so close to the church. And um, about the time that we got the last box unpacked, uh, we voted as a church to move buildings. <laughs> and <clears throat> I think Carrie voted no. Um, but one of the plans from the very beginning was to paint the house. That was, it, it's an old house. It's over 40 years old. It, it needed lots of work, needs in ways lots of work. But towards the top of the list of the things that we wanted to do that were needs, at least for us, was, was to paint the house. And so there were times that, you know, we were ready, we had saved up, and then other needs came up and we had to wait. There were other times that I considered painting it myself, and uh, people who love me reminded me what my gifts are and what they're not. And finally, this past spring, we were able to move forward with it and, and uh, found a painter, and we picked out colors and didn't know what those colors would look like. So we, we asked our friend, Tiana Pulley, who works here, to come over, and she took a picture of the house, and she was able to do something on her computer where she gave us a a picture of what the house would look like with the new colors on it, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was the, the instead of where the, where the brown was and, and all the weird colors, it was this white brick with gray contrast, and it just made the house look so different. So even when, after that, we were even more excited about it, and a week before it was supposed to start, Carrie said, hey, we need to make sure that these colors are what we want. We need to make sure that they look good actually on the house, not just on a, a digitized picture of it, right? So we got some samples of the colors, uh, samples of the paint, and I went to the side of our house, and I, I painted part of the house just to make sure that it was going to look the way we wanted, to make sure it was going to look like, you know, the picture. And so that's what we did. Went to the store, got those samples, and I went, and I, I painted a, a large portion of the side of the house and uh, did, a, did a really good job. Uh, probably could have done the whole thing, actually, but <clears throat> Carrie came out. I said, hey, come look. She came out, and she looked, and she just said, I love it. It is going to look so good. When it's all done, it's going to look so good. Now, that one side of the house, it was incomplete, but what it gave us a sense of, of what it would look like in full one day, it was new colors, the new paint colors, the fresh colors mixed in and present among all of the old colors, but at, at least on that part of the house, the reality begin to match the picture that we had, right? The new colors coming in and covering the old. And the painter got delayed like a month, which always happens, I guess. And so for a month, the side of the house uh, had new and old colors on it, and we were waiting for the, for the rest of it to be done. But as friends and family would come over and, and we'd bring up that we were painting or they'd ask about it, we'd do two things. We'd show them the picture of what it was going to look like, the picture we had on our phones. And then if they cared, or even if they didn't, we would take them to the side of the house where we had already started painting, and we would show them the beginnings of what the house was going to look like, right? The new colors that were coming in and that were, that were covering the old. So we had the completed picture of what it would look like combined with this partial reality, and it gave us and, and, and anyone else a sense of the, of the new right in the middle of the old. Okay, stay with me. In Revelation 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The, the Christian story, what we believe, is that there's a future coming. 
There is new creation coming. There is a world coming that God is bringing his kingdom in full, and, and God makes everything right. Uh, verses like this give us the picture of that world. It's, it's new creation. It's got all brand new colors over God's restored world. The old has passed away, and it's peace, and it's life, and it's joy. It's all made new. It's new creation, and it's future. And then watch this. In 2 Corinthians 5, what we just read, Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ. He is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is a way to over-individualize this verse. It's a very popular verse. There's a way to over-individualize it where it loses its power. What it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean I am a new me, although that is true. There is truth to that. The meaning, though, is so much bigger and richer than that. If anyone is in Christ... He is part of, she is part of new creation already. The, uh, the, that's why the next verse says this, the old has passed away, the new has come. It's why he goes on to say that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. To be a Christian, to be in Christ, is to be part of new creation. The picture of what the world will look like in the future is already present. Some of those colors are already tied in to the old colors in you, in your life because of your salvation, because of what Jesus has done through you. And what that means is it comes with the responsibility of showing the old world right now what the new world will look like someday because the new world has already begun in and through you. That idea is all over the New Testament. It's what, what Jesus means when he calls his people the light of the world. It's the theology of citizenship, why we named our church Citizens Church. When Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, that's not about where we go when we die. That's about living life before death in a way that displays the kingdom that death cannot defeat, the kingdom that both is and is to come. It says my allegiance is to heaven. It's to King Jesus. And we are the people who live in present in light of the future in such a way that a bit of the future is present in the present. This is the mission of the church. This is what it means to live lives on mission. There is a future day when the world, all of the world is restored, where it's completely covered in the colors of new creation, of joy and worship and God's unfettered presence. And then there is now where a lot of the old is still present. But we as new creation have been entrusted, you Christian have been entrusted with continuing the work of displaying new creation in your life now of what the world will be like right now among the old. We are part of the house where it's already begun. We point to God's word, places like Revelation 21 that show the completed picture, but we can also bring people around and show them our lives and show them the church so that they can see where the new world has already begun in and through us. And so when we as a church, when we say living on mission, when we talk about that as one of our values, we have in mind that rich, biblically informed mission of living on earth as it is in heaven, of living out new creation in the old, of joining God in restoring creation. If I could say it another way, maybe even more simple, if I were to put um, a short prayer to go with each of our values, just three words, a short ask with each one, life in Christ, the prayer would be, God save me. Word of God, the prayer would be, God, teach me. People of presence, the prayer would be, God, be with me. Whole person discipleship, the prayer would be, God, change me. And living on mission, the prayer would be, God, use me. Use me. 
Do you know that God wants to use you? That God hasn't saved you so that he might invite you to participate with him, to partner with him, to join him in restoring creation? Do you expect that of God and expect that of your life? If you're like me, when you hear that, you, you immediately go to the how or what would that look like. I want to offer four ways that we see Scripture invite us to display the future in the present. Four areas where we have an opportunity to show the colors of new creation right now in the old creation. Four ways to live on mission in your character, in your work, in your suffering, and in your love. Your character, your work, your suffering, and your love. Matthew 5.13 says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The first place to show the future in the present is through our character, specifically through kingdom character. In the first century, salt was not for taste like it is now. It was more for preserving food. It kept food from spoiling. So in your house, in my house, we have uh, a kitchen or a fridge in the kitchen, right? Some of you even have two. You have a fridge in the kitchen and maybe one in the garage because you're super blessed. Um, but that's how we keep food from, from spoiling, right? By putting food in, in the fridge. Uh, in the first century, salt was the fridge. Sodium chloride is what salt is, and they got it from the Dead Sea, and pure sodium chloride has a preservative effect on food. It keeps food from rotting for a time. When Jesus calls his people, everyone in the first century knew that. When Jesus first preached the sermon on the side of a mountain, everyone would have immediately gone to that function of salt in their mind. And so when Jesus tells us, when he tells his people that we are the salt of the earth, it means that we have a preservative effect on the world. Where there is a Christian in the world, where there is a church in the world, our very presence is to ensure that the world is not as bad as it could be because we're there. Um, as Christians, it's a solemn, sacred responsibility to preserve the world from complete moral decay. Not that we can rid the world of all evil, that's Jesus' job, but our very presence resists evil. Our very presence withstands evil. And here's how. First, by having kingdom character, by, look at me, by being different people, by being kingdom people. Um, we often first look around and think when it comes to what the world needs or the healing the world needs, we look around at what around us needs to change. That's not where Jesus starts. Jesus starts by us look, inviting us to look at him and inviting us to be changed. That's why Jesus starts on the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. That's kingdom character. Be a peacemaker. Be merciful. Be meek. Be gentle, right? It's why Jesus warns what he does. The, the, the verse can, can be confusing. He says if the salt loses its taste, it loses its purpose, it's no good. What he means is there was a, a powder in the first century that would start as salt. It was this white powder that looked like salt. It started as salt, but because there were no refineries in the first century, uh, oftentimes uh, the, the salt would get mixed with all other different things and different, you know, um, materials, what, so that what was once pure 
sodium chloride that could preserve. It got mixed with other substances, and when it was mixed with things that were not salt, it could no longer preserve food. It lost its preservative effect. So what many people would do is they would buy this white powder thinking it was salt and put it on their food only to watch their food spoil because what looked like salt did not taste or act like salt because it had in the very things it had in it, the very things that caused the decay it was meant to prevent. Jesus' warning is that Christian, to be good citizens, church, to be good for the world, we have to be different from the world and hold back evil in the world as people who have character of the kingdom because where there exists in the church, where there exists in my life and in your life, the same decay that exists in the world, the same anger and violence and pride and greed, the same worship of power and worship of money and worship of comfort, the same fear of death and fear of man, the same slander and divisiveness and shame and love of money and idolatry and apathy towards God and hatred towards others. When that happens in the Christian, when that happens in the church. The church might have some sort of religious, dressed-up, Bible-belt, church-going appearance of salt that has none of its power, none of its power, because there is too much in it. There's too much of the very things that cause the decay we were meant to prevent, to be good for the world. We have to be different from the world. When there is humility and repentance and confession and gentleness and purity, where that marks the life of a Christian, there's new creation character. The world around us sees in our character, in our very lives, a picture of the world to come. I wonder, I really do wonder, have you thought about your obedience like that in those terms? Like, I could, I could give in to this temptation and it would be more evidence that evil and darkness and old creation is all around me, or I could resist. And in my obedience, not only is my love for Jesus visible, but in that moment, the kingdom is present, is breaking in. I could act harsh. I could choose anger. I could choose lust. I could be overwhelmed by my fear, and I could, in that, show the world more of itself, right? Or I could imperfectly strive to be different than that and show the world a bit of Jesus. Like, I think often we think of our obedience uh, righteous behavior, whatever that might be, as being tied to our sanctification, and it is, but have you considered that it's also tied to the mission of God? Have you considered that it's also part of how God wants to use you in the world around you to say something different to the world? Like, what if I fought against my addiction, not just because it hurts me and hurts God, but also because I believe a world is coming when people are not a slave to their impulses, and when I fight for sobriety, a bit of that world is here? And what if I choose sacrificial love in my marriage or in my relationships, not simply because it's the Christian thing to do, but sacrificial love is the very essence of the kingdom. And when I humble myself, when I die to self, when I love the way that I've been loved, the world of perfect love drives away the world of pride. I've, I've, I've said this before. I just believe it to be true, so I'll keep saying it. Obedience is so underrated. It's just so underrated kingdom character does something in the world, maybe even that we can't even see, but it does something in the world that is good for the world. And you, Christian, you alone have the gospel-gifted power to live that out. And when you do, you're living on mission. When you do, out of your character, you're, you're, you're bringing something that is future into the present. Number two is our work. One is character, two is work. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this. 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's a passage about work, about job, about vocation, about what you and I do for a living. And what it does is it moves the emphasis away from what you do for work. It says whatever you do, right? It moves the emphasis away from what you do for work, and it moves it to who you do your work for, as for the Lord and not for men. So your work day, my work day, is informed by a future day when Jesus returns. And and we work, according to Colossians, not for a paycheck, Primarily, but for an inheritance that comes from Jesus as our reward. Do you see that? that? Your vocation, your job, it's put in the context of the world that is coming, the present shaped and informed by the future that is to come. One of the conversations I'm just committed to having, um, and we are committed to having as a church, is the conversation about how work and faith are integrated, how your work and your faith are, are not Uh, dichotomized, but are inseparable. It's an inseparable part of your faith, of your Christianity. Um, It's easy, I think, for a guy like me who's a pastor to see that, Uh, but most of you are not pastors or ministers or in ministry, and and so the common thought around us is that there's a secular sacred divide, and, and maybe, you know, some would say what I do for God is sacred, but what I do for work is secular. It's just how I make a living, and the biggest problem with that is the Bible, the, the Bible uh, would say that, God's, that work is God's idea. Uh, work was in the world before sin. Work will be a part of the new creation. Isaiah 2 says they beat their swords and spears into plowshares and pruning hooks. So uh, there will be no need for weapons in the new creation, but there will be need for tools in new creation. New creation is not a workless existence. It's a warless existence. Ben Witherington, he's a New Testament scholar. He wrote a book on work called Work. And he has a quote about it um, that I think is really helpful. He says this, work is, Christian work is, any necessary and meaningful task that God calls and gifts a person to do and which can be undertaken to the glory of God and for the edification and aid of human beings being inspired by the Spirit. And hear this, foreshadowing the realities of new creation. Work that has the potential, if stewarded rightly, if seen rightly, to foreshadow the realities of new creation. Have you, have you ever thought about your job like that? I think often we get work wrong in two ways. One is we, we treat work like it's God. It's the thing we worship. And that worship is seen in how primarily we try to find our worth in our work or we try to find healing in and through our work. So maybe there's wounds from our past or wounds from our childhood even, or even just we have this sense of inadequacy, we have this insecurity, and we think that a certain salary or a certain level of success or some degree of acknowledgement and affirmation through work is going to make that go away. And so we expect of our work that it will provide our worth and heal our wounds, right? And we know that by by paying attention to how we respond when work doesn't go well. 
paying attention to what comes out of our heart when work isn't providing that worth, right? It doesn't work. Only God can do that. There's only one place to go for that kind of healing. You will never sell enough or be promoted enough or acknowledged enough or praised enough. You will never manage enough. You will never own enough. You will never make enough to ever repair in your heart and soul what only Jesus can heal. And if you try, your wounds will fester and your work will spoil. You will either despise your work because it's not doing for you what it can't, or you will drown in your work waiting for it to save you. When you look to your work for your worth, you become a slave to your work. When you look to God for your worth, you're reminded that you're a daughter, you're a son. It's not the work that you do that makes you worthy. It's the work Jesus did for you that you don't work for. You receive by grace through faith as a gift. Work is not God. There's another side of that spectrum, though, is that work is also not necessary evil. Some can treat work as God, and some can treat work as just this thing I do to get to the weekend or this thing I do to get to the life I want. Work is not a curse. It's part of God's good design for the world, and you are invited by God to be involved in work in a meaningful way, the kind of work that foreshadows new creation. Your job is ministry. You're, you're, even if it's not specifically religious, your work, your vocation. God has put you there to minister through that, right? When it's seen through that lens, it's secular or it's sacred. It's not secular because your work is part of the mission of God. And, and, and here's, here's what I see that looking like in so many of your lives. I see you taking seriously, right? Like if you're in business or you're a business owner and you're doing your work with excellence for Jesus, meeting needs around you, and so many of you are in our entrepreneurs, you're in the business world, and you are stewarding the resources that God gives you in a way that contributes to the flourishing of the city and the community around you. And when you do that, it serves as a foreshadow of the day when the flourishing city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven and everything sad becomes untrue. So many of you are teachers. What a gift to know that so many of our people here at Citizens have been deployed into our schools to the lives that fill your room five days a week are precious to God, and I know that you know that, and you get to steward their minds and pray for opportunities to minister to their souls. They live in God's world, and you teach them about his world, whatever you teach, even if you can't be as explicit about it as you'd like, and for the brief time that you get with them, your presence can be one that whispers of a God who made them and loves them, and your presence tells of a world that is coming to this world to fix this world. Or maybe you're not yet into your career. Your job is more transition right now. I've got a lot of younger people that come here. So like maybe, just an example, maybe you work at a coffee shop or something, and, and you don't plan to do that forever, but your job is to serve the common grace of caffeine to people, which is a sacred ministry. And every day in your job, you're surrounded by people who bear the image of God, and, and your job is to serve, is to serve. And maybe that's not a career for you, and that's fine, but God has you there now, and what's easy, it's easy to think of transition jobs and transition seasons that I'm just there to wait it out until I get to the next thing, and then it will matter, and then I will be useful, and then I will do things for God. In my experience, friends, we often do not do for God tomorrow what we're not already doing for Him today. So wherever He has you, See wherever he has you as somewhere he has placed you, even if it's simply to do menial tasks and serve others, because you 
know truths. You know Jesus. You have access to a true and better story. And while your service might be menial service in serving others, be reminded that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in small ways, you can be the gentle, humble, sacrificial presence of Jesus, even as you make and offer a cup of coffee. Many in our church are in the medical field. Thank you. Thank you. Goodness, what a what a few years you've had, I can't imagine. But there's coming a day when sickness is gone for good, and there's coming a day when broken bones and ERs and heart failure and car wrecks and cancer are a thing of the past. And as you, nurses and doctors and first responders, as you care for people, as you tend to their wounds and operate on their bodies and use the common grace of medicine to bring healing, you honor the dignity of every human, you contend for life because it matters, and you herald the day when sickness is no more. It is a foreshadow of new creation. Your vocation, all, I, I missed most of you, I'm sure, but your vocation, your job as seen through kingdom lenses with the coming day of new creation it's part of the mission of God. And when you, friend, when you do it for Jesus in such a way, you do it for Jesus, and, and when that's the orientation of your heart towards your work, the colors of new creation are shown through your work, and it gives a purpose for your job, for your work, that's deeper and more stable than what job disappointment can, can disrupt. Three, suffering. Romans 5 and Romans 8, they'll both be on the screen behind me. Romans 5, 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Romans 8, 18 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As new creation, those who are in Christ are a new creation, we uh, present, we preview the world that is to come through our character, our work, and through our suffering. Our world does not know what to do with pain. In our part of the world where we have made um, the goal in life pain avoidance, where we, have, where we worship and idolize comfort, and our biggest fear, uh, our, our, our greatest nightmares are the kinds of losses and the kinds of pain that no one actually has the power to protect themselves from. And so in our culture where so much of life is avoiding pain and protecting ourselves from suffering, when it comes, which it inevitably does, many just don't know what to do. And so some try and dismiss it and act like everything's okay when it's not, avoid dealing with loss and hurt. Others despair in it, like believe that life is not worth living because of all the brokenness. Others dishonor it. There's a lot of popular preaching right now that even tries to put a spin on suffering in a way that dishonors it and says things like, your breaking is just before your breakthrough and the valley comes before the mountain. And maybe there's some truth to some of that, but it's not immediate. And the reality is this, some breaks stay broken until Jesus' return. Some valleys don't turn into mountains on this side of eternity, right? As believers, as Christians, we don't do any of those things. We don't dismiss we don't despair. We don't dishonor. According to the Bible, we do something very different in our suffering. We rejoice. In our suffering, we rejoice. And when we do, we display the belief in what is to come. Now, rejoicing is not we act happy. Rejoicing is not calling suffering good. It's not. It's, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And our suffering reminds us of that. The rejoicing is a settled hope that suffering is not meaningless and suffering is not forever. 
The rejoicing is rooted in those twin biblical ideas that our pain has a purpose and that it is not the end. That pain has an end. The pain in our life changes us. It does something in us. The suf- it, it, it produces endurance, Romans 5. And then the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Pain has an ending. Uh, beloved, if you are in a season of suffering right now, would you hear this? It won't be like this forever. It won't be like this forever. Healing will come. Jesus will come. Mourning will turn to dancing. Weeping will turn to laughter. And when we believe about the suffering of the world in our lives, what we, when we believe that it does something according to Romans 5, it produces something in us. When we believe according to Romans 8, it won't be forever, but it can't compare to the glory that is coming. When we suffer with hope, the kingdom is present. When we suffer with hope, new creation breaks in to the old citizens. Someone asked me a month ago, who doesn't come here, they said, what is your favorite thing about your church? And I said, my favorite thing is that they are super quiet when I preach. And I just, <laughs> I love that. It motivates me to keep going. Um, I, my answer, I think, struck them as odd. My honest answer is my favorite thing about our church is that we do pain well. We do pain well. And by we, I, I mean you, uh, you, church, suffer well. Uh, I am in awe so often by your faith and your hope. And even those of you who, who haven't recently been in a season of suffering, you, you move towards the hurting. You do pain well in that you don't retreat from those in pain, but you move towards those in pain. And I don't know of a more powerful witness than that in a world that expends so much energy trying to avoid suffering to be a people who are at their best when life is at its worst is an honor. It is such a blessing to be a part of a people like that. There are stories here, many, not few, many. We have had people come to faith in Jesus because they were near members of our church while they suffered and in their suffering, and they saw in your suffering something so unexpectedly honest and so unexpectedly hopeful that they wanted to know the Savior that you know. They wanted to know of this Jesus who you believe weeps with you in your present and holds for you a future free of tears. I don't know of a more powerful way that the new invades the old than when this broken world tries to crush the saints and they stand in their suffering, believing the promises of God and the goodness of Jesus. Praise God. May we continue. To, if one claps, you all just have to clap, or it's, it just goes, it just goes weird. Let's just make that. I pray. Often, I pray often that we just continue that. Not that pain continues coming, but that what we can't control, that we continue to suffer with hope in a way that discourages the kingdom of darkness and exalts King Jesus and the kingdom. Love is number four. We show new creation through our character, our work, our suffering, and our love. There's so much to say here. In John 13, Jesus says, by this they will know that you're my disciples, the love that you have for one another. There's a distinct way that Christians love other Christians in a way that display they follow and love Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a lawyer that loving your neighbor means loving those who are different from you, which for the lawyer meant loving the Samaritan who was his religious, political, and ethnic enemy. Hating people because they're different than us, prejudice, racism, 
or even just the passive avoidance of people who disagree with us. That's old creation. That's the kingdom of darkness. There's no presence of the kingdom in any of that. Everyone loves those who are like them. The distinct love of Jesus is to love the way that we've been loved. He loved us while we were his enemies. He loves us still while we're different from him. And so we strive to love in that distinct way of, of, of loving those who are different and, and looking and praying for the evidence of that love being that who God assembles here are people who look and think different than one another. I don't want a church, we don't want to build a church who is you know, homogenous in the way that they look and homogenous in the way that they think and homogenous in, in all of the, the things that we're partial towards, but we want a blend of people who are all across the map and we have a homogeny of heart that what we agree on is Jesus and that's powerful and strong enough to sustain us through what we might disagree on. But there are two things that come to mind, two areas at Citizens where we want our love to be visible. One is towards the vulnerable and the other is towards the lost. Towards the vulnerable, what we mean is, uh, so our God is a God who hears the cries of vulnerable people. I always think of the uh, passage in Genesis 21 with Hagar. She has been abandoned by her family and sent into the wilderness and she has her child Ishmael with her and they are both stranded and desperate and it says this in Genesis 21, God hears the cries of the child. God heard the cries of Hagar and Ishmael and then he provided a well. Our God hears and responds to the cries of the vulnerable and needy. When his people do the same, they represent God's heart in the world and represent the world to come where there are no cries. They represent a future coming where there are no tears. That's why, friends, we want to hear the cries of women in crisis pregnancies. And so many of you are involved in organizations that do the good work of loving both child and mother because both of their lives are worthy of dignity and protection and help and future. That's why we hear the cries of children in Rwanda and we partner with organizations like Africa New Life. Rwanda is a country still trying to rebuild in many ways from a horrific genocide. And you have sponsored and loved and prayed for over 130 children through that ministry. We've taken three trips there already and plan to take more to meet needs and share the gospel. That's why we hear the cries of people in Guatemala and partner with IJM where children, especially girls, are vulnerable to oppression and violence, and IJM works to protect and restore and bring justice to give a voice to the voiceless. It's why we wanted to be part of welcoming refugees from Afghanistan. 94 of you responded to that invitation. 26 of you are part of a welcome team, and many of you have already put in hours to prepare to welcome families, and you are doing that work not to give Afghan refugees a nice experience of America, but to love them and give them an experience of the kingdom in the heart of the king. We have a growing foster and adoption community here at Citizens. Some who foster, some who have adopted, and then others who surrounded those families for support because they can't do it alone. In the month of November, we're going to highlight that community, invite others to partner with that community. These are men and women who have said, I will open my life and my home. I will add to my family to show the love of Jesus to some of the most vulnerable, precious children and try to bring healing in some of the most broken situations. If that's you, God bless you and sustain you. We are better because of you. At Citizens Church, around us and around the world, we want to have eyes searching, ears open to the needy and the vulnerable as a people who believe a better world is coming. And then finally, we want our love to be visible towards the lost. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
living on mission means sharing your faith with others. It means answering Jesus' commission to make disciples. There is no way to be a maturing, growing Christian who is also not an evangelistic Christian. We believe new creation is coming, and we believe everyone needs to hear about that and be a part of that, which, according to Jesus, requires going and opening our mouths and making disciples. Is, th is that part of your life, sharing your faith? Is there someone that, you're, that does not know Jesus or has rejected Jesus that you're actively, lovingly pursuing? You know, I think one of the schemes of the... Let me press. Let me press. I think one of the schemes of the enemy right now uh, one of the ways that the church has been distracted and even um, disabled a bit is that we know so much about so many problems. We are bombarded with headlines. We are constantly invited into public conflicts and public scandals and, and public problems all the time. We are constantly informed by very public and distant things to us. And, and all that time around us are local needs and local opportunities and people who need to know Jesus and people whose lives can be changed by your very presence. And, and that's true for everyone. So there are public problems over which we have very little control. Then there are local needs and local opportunities in which we could make a huge difference. And yet, and yet, so many are left over-informed about problems we can't solve and underwhelmed by needs we can actually meet. And that comes out in so many distorted ways. So we, we know the news, but we don't know our neighbors. We know what people online believe about the vaccine, but we don't know what the people around us believe about Jesus. We are entertained by famous people's public failings, but unmoved by ordinary people's eternal needs. Let's refuse. Amen? Let's refuse. Let's refuse to be distracted by what we have little control over, and let's give our lives to sharing Jesus to those around us. Goodness, you can't do everything, but there are, there are some needs that only you can meet. There are some people that only you have access to. There are some relationships that, that God is going to, to open a divine appointment for you to walk through and walk in, and you can't control the outcome of that, but you can control your obedience in it. I've been so encouraged. Uh, part of our member renewal uh, has been an optional survey, and on that optional survey, we, we've given you a, a members are, are a chance to list any ministries you're involved in outside of citizens or organizations that you're involved in outside of this church. And, and here's what I've read. I've been so encouraged. Some of you go every week to homeless shelters to share the gospel with the people there and offer compassion. Uh, many of you, so many of you, are involved in Young Life or K-Life or some organization that ministers especially to unchurched junior high and high school students they will not forget you. They will not forget you. The gospel presence that you are in their life, the words of Jesus you share with them that will stay with them. We have two women in our church who every single Saturday go to prison to share Jesus with the inmates there. Praise God. Where, where are you in all of that, friend? It, it can take a different form for everyone. Everyone has different capacity. Everyone has different gifts. Everyone has different proximity to different people and different opportunities. But where are you in all that? And I get that it's very intimidating. To be honest, every time I try and share the gospel with someone I don't know well, I do such a bad job, I think I need to find a new job. That's just true. It's always awkward. 
and we're working on that. I'm working on that. Chad Lawson, who oversees our mobilization here, he is doing a remarkable job, and probably in the spring, we will be up and running with evangelistic communities that we're going to invite you to be a part of to help us learn how to share our faith and see people around us and, and enter gospel conversations. That's coming. But for now, I, I wonder of you, w would you just think of someone, one person, a coworker, a family member, a face, a name that does not know Jesus, and you begin praying for them as a first step. Maybe you invite them into your home. Maybe even commit right now that this week you're going to have a conversation with them. We want our love for the vulnerable and the needy to be on display. Also, we want our love for the lost to be on display. And the greatest way that we can love the lost is to share Jesus with them, to tell them about the new world that is coming, that, that, that we would do for someone what someone did for you, that changed the trajectory, not just of your life, but of your eternity. You are new creation. The old is passing away. You've been entrusted with the mission of God, invited to be used by God. Let's take some of this before God together. Would you pray with me? And I wonder if you would just consider in those four areas. That God has invited you to be a part of what he's doing. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be a simple response of you would turn to the prayer. God, use me. God, use me. Maybe that's brand new for you. That idea is completely foreign to you. And this would be the beginning of you joining God in restoring creation. You would just pray, God, use me. Uh, brother, sister, is your, is your character? I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm certainly not. But is your character pointing to the world that exists all around us? Or is your character pointing to the one that's coming that this world needs? When you think about your job, when you think about how you spend your days, the hours of your days, the thing you're working for, does it foreshadow new creation? Have you decided that if pain comes, if suffering comes, have you committed your heart now to moving closer to Jesus in a way that puts the kingdom on display? Those of you who are suffering, are your hands open to receive comfort from Jesus, to hope in him, not to dishonor, dismiss, or despair? but to rejoice that it's doing something and it has an ending. Are you loving in a way, church, friend, brother, sister, loving in a way that puts new creation on display for the vulnerable, the needy, for those who don't know Jesus? Lord, call to mind a face. Call to mind a name. Send us with wisdom and compassion to those who don't know you. We love you. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.